Our New Testament reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask the Father to teach us. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests, thanking you for how you have answered prayer in this congregation, how you have blessed us. Father, we could spend the rest of the day, praying together, enumerating all the ways that you have blessed Christ Covenant Church. Now, as we open your word, we pray in these next few minutes that you would speak to us. Father, we've heard your voice before. You've changed us. We're not the same people that we once were. We pray this morning that you would continue that change in us. As we hear your word, we pray that you would continue to change us in the core of our being. Maybe some of us for the first time. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us from your word. We pray when we leave here in a few minutes, we will know that we have heard your voice and been in your presence. In the name of Christ and for his glory, amen. Do your prayers shake the earth? We have come to the Lamb opening the seventh seal. What will it be? What will it bring? We have been mesmerized by the removal of the first six seals from the scroll. As each seal was removed by Christ, we saw more events that foretold or for we saw events that were foretold by the scroll, with the removal of each one. Jesus is telling the readers what will transpire between his ascension and his return. The four horsemen of the apocalypse will continue to ride. Despotic tyrants obsessed with conquests like Caesars, the Caesars of Rome, will still be causing wars of conquest in the 20th and 21st centuries. Think about Putin invading Ukraine. 
There will also be, the second horseman showed us that there will also be civil wars of rebellion and strife. The horseman on the black horse prophesied famine that would continue even into the 21st century. Even modern technology cannot stop the famine. And then the horseman on the pale horse denoted epidemics of disease that will not be stopped even by advanced medicine. Think of COVID. The fifth seal revealed that the people of God will continue to suffer social marginalization. They'll suffer persecution and some will suffer martyrdom. Then there was a sixth seal that revealed that in the end, there would be absolute justice as Jesus returned. Everyone would give an account. And then we had to wait a week to get to the seventh seal. As John was shown, and we saw this last week, as John was shown in chapter 7, instead of a seventh seal, he was shown an interlude. It was a beautiful scene of the church in glory with Jesus. He was reassuring in that seventh chapter. He was reassuring in the seventh chapter. Reassuring his people, his church, of their safety and security, even in the midst of all this turmoil. So, we come to the seventh seal now. The seventh seal, it must take us back to Christ and his return. That's where we left off. But as we read it this morning, that's not what it does. The seventh seal opens another dramatic scene for John, for us. Remember John is told in that first chapter, write what you see. He didn't say write what you hear, but write what you see. The book of Revelation is filled with incredible visions and symbolic images. This morning, we will see a drama take place in heaven, revealing the significance and power of prayer. And if you're anticipating what that seventh seal would be, you would never anticipate this, that Jesus is just going to stop And give us this dramatic scene, and the subject of that scene will be, of all things, prayer. We will see prayer from heaven's point of view. Of all the passages in the Bible about prayer, I believe this scene is the most powerful. And you may think in your mind right now, what are the passages that I know about prayer? Jesus speaking there in the 7th chapter of Matthew. You know, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your father give good gifts to you? Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. That's strong. But this passage, of all the passages in Scripture on prayer, I don't know one more powerful than this. Jesus is revealing to the church the significance and power of prayer as the people of God live through the events 
revealed by the seals and then later by the trumpets. First, I want you to see in this passage that prayer is a holy endeavor which places us in a holy position. Look at verses 1 through 4. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another, seal, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So John has been an observer. We've seen this over and over again, a very close observer of what was taking place. This is like an interactive vision, an interactive revelation. John sometimes talked to some of the participants, and sometimes they talked to him. We go back. Remember the, the thunderous praise of Revelation 4 and 5. John was there hearing that millions of angels sing with all of creation. Their worship was thunderous. Then we have the reverberating echo of the four horsemen. We have the cry of the martyrdom of God's people. And then the cataclysmic action of the return of Christ in his judgment. In that seventh chapter, we return to praise this glorious, thunderous praise of heaven. But then suddenly, there is silence, significant silence. For a half hour, there was silence. He took the seal, removed it, silence. A silent awe. Remember the Old Testament passage, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And what happened during that silence? The prayers of the saints came up before God. That's what it says. The silence reflects, people, the holiness of prayer. The silence reflects the reverence of prayer. The silence reflects the seriousness of men and women and boys and girls presenting themselves before the Almighty to speak to Him. We tend to think of God drawing nigh to us wherever we are when we pray. But here, we're pictured as drawing nigh to God, coming before His throne. That's where the prayers are. Look at it. All of heaven is silent. But we dare to speak in our prayers. Prayers take us, prayer takes us to the real holy of holies. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? There was drama in the temple, the great 60 foot high thick veil that divided the holy of holies from the rest of the temple was ripped, not from the bottom up, but from the top down was ripped. God tore it.
when we pray in our homes, in our cars. God does not stand in our kitchens or ride along in our cars. Our prayers go to the real Holy of Holies that Christ opened. That is the holy place. And speaking to Him is a holy endeavor. Think about it. The incarnation brought God to earth. That earth might be raised to Him. Jesus came to us that He might die. Opening the door to the very throne room of God. That we go before Him dressed in His righteousness. We don't come before God telling Him how good we've been. God, I offer you all these, my, my moral life, all my morality offered to you. We come not dressed in our morality, but we come dressed in the blood of Christ. Into the holy of holies. Not even the angels can say that. It is one thing for God to enter our bedroom and sit in a chair and listen to us when we pray. It's quite another for us to be ushered into the throne room of God. Where six-winged seraphim cover their faces in awe and reverence. And we there speak to Him. We dare to speak to Him before whom the angels cover their faces. To take prayer seriously, you must, we must take God seriously. And you cannot take God seriously unless you understand in some way the hugeness of His being as the angels understand the hugeness of His being. Why do the seraphim cover their faces? Was it that they, is it that they go through seraphim training and they read a pamphlet? They read a manual? This is what you do? No! It's because they know the greatness of God. They can't do anything else but cover their faces. I love this story. Some of you have heard again. Some of you have heard this message uh, several years ago. I wrote uh, for the ladies of Independent. Wrote a, a study on prayer, and this this message was included in that, or this outline was included in that. The story is that. John Hyde, H-Y-D-E, was a Presbyterian minister and missionary of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He was known internationally. Men are known like Spurgeon, known for their preaching. John Hyde was known for his praying. In fact, do you know what what he was called, his name? Simply Praying Hyde. That's what he was called. J. Wilbur Chapman, now Hyde was a Presbyterian, by the way. Uh, J. Wilbur Chapman was a contemporary. He was a Presbyterian pastor, evangelist, theologian. He once wrote to a friend telling him about praying Hyde's influence on him. Chapman had been speaking in a series of services in three different towns in England, and it had not gone well. The crowds were disappointingly small, and it seemed that his preaching had no effect. But then he was joined by praying Hyde in this endeavor with those three towns. As a result of Hyde's praying, everything changed. Suddenly, the churches were full where he preached, where Chapman preached. 
And there was tremendous response. Men and women, boys and girls, families changed. After a powerful message on one occasion, Wilbur Chapman said to the great man of prayer, he went to him privately after the service, said, I want you to pray for me. Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. I want to read to you what Chapman, this is, these are the words of the great J. Wilbur Chapman speaking about Hyde. He came to my room. He turned the key in the door and dropped to his knees and waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping. I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. And then with upturned face, down which the tears were streaming, he said, Oh, God. Then for five minutes, at least five minutes, he was still again. And then when he knew he was talking with God, there came from the depths of his heart such petitions for me as I had never heard before. I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was, end quote. That's what Jesus is saying. It's what the seventh seal reveals from the scroll. The significance and power of prayer. Prayer is a holy endeavor which places us in a most holy position. Secondly, we see in this passage that our prayers are pleasant to God. Now some of you will be surprised at this. Look at verses 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. What in the world is incense? There was a special altar in the temple where incense was burned. It gave off a delightful aroma. Every piece of that temple, now you know this, every piece of the tabernacle and then every piece of the temple was, a, was symbolic of a reality for the people of God and a reality in heaven. The altar of incense represented the prayers of God's people. Now look at, on your scripture sheet, look at Luke 1, 10 and 11, or in your Bibles, Luke 1, 10 and 11. And the whole, this is when the angel appeared to Zacharias to tell him that Elizabeth, uh, they're way past childbearing age, that Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And Zacharias was in the temple. He was at the altar of incense. He was serving there. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The people had come to pray because the altar would arrive the hour when the incense would be burned. The incense represented was symbolic of the prayers of God's people. Now we've read about this uh, earlier in Revelation. Uh, look at Revelation 5, 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The incense 
Why did you burn incense with prayers? Because incense was symbolic that the prayers of God's people were like a sweet-smelling perfume to God. God desires our prayers. What is the picture? The prayers of God's people are pleasant to Him like a fragrance of a wonderful perfume is pleasant to us. Last week, I introduced you to John Sartell III. He had called me just a few days earlier out of the blue and said, Granddad, can I come down and spend a few days with you? What do you think I said? You know, John, my schedule is full. I don't have time for this. I just said, he, I said, come on. I said, what do you want to do? He said, well, I want you to take me to the shooting range and shoot some trap and ski. He'd never done that. He said, I want to go play golf with you. He hadn't played much golf at all. Again, what do you think I said? Well, John, I just, I don't have time for that. We had an awesome time. He was supposed to go home Tuesday. He called his parents and said, I'm not coming home. I'm staying. And he, he stayed another 24 hours. And we hung out and talked for five days. Now, you've experienced this. We get so much joy out of conversations with our children, with our grandchildren. We love the voices of our children and grandchildren. This passage and the rest of Scripture teaches us that our Father in heaven loves our voices. He loves our prayers. There was a football player several years ago at the University of Tennessee who came from abject poverty. He came from projects of a major northern city. And he, he loved he had never seen food like that. He loved the food of the athletic dorm. He loved his room. He did not want to go home for Christmas or anything. He had things so good. He had never had it this good. The team, members of the team, would tease him from time to time. He was one of those guys that was sort of naive and just an easy target. One day, the guys at his lunch table, when he sat down, said, Hey! Your mother called you today and want you to call her. And he dropped his silverware and said, My mother called. My mother wants me to call her. And the players realized they had made a horrible mistake. They realized his mother never called him. She didn't care. He wanted, he craved to have a mother who would call him. That's a sad story, isn't it? It's true. Do you know what's sadder? To have a God who does care. Whose care is beyond imagination. And even though He's huge, larger than anyone we know, to have a God who wants to hear his children speak to him, who delights in the prayers of his children, yet they don't speak to him. We don't speak to him. We speak to him so little. Our conversations are mostly shallow, passionless. 
when I was writing this, I had to write these words. How much, John, have you spoken to the Father this week? Prayer is a holy endeavor which places us in a holy position. Our prayers are pleasant to God. Thirdly, prayer involves the holy disciplines of waiting and conforming. Look at verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. What prayers are being brought before God? Judgment was about to take place. The trumpets announcing the different judgments were being prepared to sound. God's people, remember? Back in Revelation chapter 6, we studied it about the martyrs. They had been praying. They had been calling on God that justice would prevail on the earth. Let's go back to that for a minute. Look at Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and, avert, uh, and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow saints, servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The prayers of Revelation 8, 4 had been prayed long before. And God said, hey, you've got to wait. It's not time yet, children. And when the time came, God said, those prayers that were prayed before, some of them years ago, bring those prayers to me now. I want all of heaven to know that I'm faithful to answer the pleas of my children. Know this, God will answer your prayer. Sometimes he says no. Many times he says it's not time yet, just wait. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, we spoke of him last week, beside writing Gulag Archipelago, wrote another book that was a classic, A Day in the Life of Ivan Dasanovich. Ivan, in this story, endures all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. One day he's praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner notices him and ridicules him and says, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. And opening his eyes, Ivan answers, I do not pray to get out of prison, but I pray to do the will of God. Prayer is not our persuading God to come to our position. Our prayer is God drawing us to his will. E. Stanley Jones got it right when he said this about prayer. He said, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and I catch hold of the shore with that boat hook, 
Do I pull the shore to me? Does the shore move? No. Shore doesn't move. The boat and you are pulled to the shore. Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but aligning my will to the will of God. What did Jesus say? Even Jesus, what did he say in Gethsemane? Oh, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will. Your will, Father, your will. Prayer is a holy endeavor which places us in a holy position. Our prayers are pleasant to God. Prayer involves a holy disciplines, disciplines of waiting and conforming. And here's the best part. Couldn't wait to get here. Prayer in the hand of God shakes the earth and shapes history. Look at Revelation 8, 4, and 5. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer. He filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What an extraordinary scene. That's, that's about prayer. That's what prayer does. God takes the prayers of his people and throws them down upon the earth, causing thunder, rumblings, lightning, and earthquake. It's as if the perfume, it's as if the incense is turned into nitroglycerin. When we read passages like this, and I read passages like this, I think we must be playing at prayer. Bloody Queen Mary. You know what she said? It's a famous quote. She said, I fear, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear an army of 10,000 men. What a testimony coming from the world. Does anyone fear our prayers? Jesus is saying in Revelation 8, don't forget, through your prayers, I will shake the earth. There's a passage in Acts chapter 4 that used to puzzle me. We'll close with this. Acts 4.23. And when they were released, the disciples had... Uh, been put in prison, had been arrested, had been faced, had been commanded not to preach anymore in Jesus' name. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now skip down to verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And then verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. These persecuted disciples, 
Their prayer did not focus on their safety. Did you see that? When they turned and they spoke of the sovereignty of God. Well, God, you're sovereign. You have all this in your hand. They didn't say, protect us. They said, give us boldness to speak your word at any cost. And how did God answer? Look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Why did God answer in that way? He wanted them to know. Your prayers, they will shake the earth. What did he say? William Willimon is an internationally known evangelical Methodist minister and theologian. He's retired now. He ministered at Duke University. He served as a Methodist bishop. I used to read his sermons on a weekly basis. He tells a story of a friend of his who was a member, who was a member of the World Council of Churches. This friend was sent to Russia to compile a report on the Christian church in Russia under the hostile and atheistic communist government. When his friend returned from Russia, Willimon asked him, he said, what did you find? And the man said laughingly, he said, I found churches, just a few. And those few churches were only filled with little old ladies praying. That's a quote. He said it in derision. He was saying they just don't amount to anything. I guess we could sum it up this way, and these are my words. In the prayers of little old ladies, they were nothing more than perfume being offered up in the middle of a harsh, dogmatic, monolithic, unbending, gigantic military machine that was a world power. Well, that was in 1970. When Willimon told this story, it was in the early 90s. The statues of Stalin and Lenin had been pulled down. One of the two world powers of the 20th century had been completely dismantled. Mark Buchanan wrote about it in his book, Your God is Too Safe. And he knew the story that I related to you. And he said this, Beware of little old ladies praying. Secretly, they're revolutionaries who make Bolsheviks look like kindergartners. They comprise a veritable bomb-making factory. Now the question before the house is, do I believe that? question for you this morning is the same. Do you believe that? We have the very word of Jesus the Lamb that this is true. Jesus is saying with the removal of the seventh seal from the scroll I will take the prayers of my people and shake the earth. On the back of your scripture sheet this morning, I recorded 
a wonderful quote from the great Bishop J.C. Ryle. It's called, Do You Pray? I'm not going to read it to you. I put it on the back, printed, had it printed on the back of the scripture sheet because I want you to take it home. I want you to live with it. Put it somewhere where you will see it over and over again and answer the question, do you pray? Amen. Our hymn as we come to the table is so fitting. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Hymn 501.